Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, we're continuing to go through the Beatitudes um, as we begin the Sermon on the Mount. And and I've mentioned to you on on several occasions that I think it's really important that as we read them that we go ahead and we, we start from the very beginning. Because uh, they're like a beautiful string of pearls, as I've mentioned. Putting them together is an important part to understanding them. So we'll begin with verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the the prophets which were before you. I've said this before and um, it's worth saying again looking at what we're doing tonight. It amazes me that when you preach through the Word of God, when you you don't let headlines determine what you preach or you don't let the Southern Baptist Convention determine what you preach or you don't let the sermon outline notebook that so many preachers preach from pre-canned sermons, when you don't let any of that stuff determine what you preach and when you preach it, when you just preach through the Word of God, it amazes me how things just fall right into place. Last week we talked about blessed are the peacemakers. Um, And we talked about how that was such a timely message because that was coming off the election and how there's so much unrest and how we needed to be reminded that it's our responsibility to be peacemakers in this world, not troublemakers. And then it's interesting, though, because tonight, as we look at blessed are the persecuted, uh, what's interesting about that is the sermon that we're preaching on Sunday morning is the exact same thing. It's when Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep into wolves. And he begins to talk about persecution and and prepare the people for persecution. So you could never imagine that if you're just preaching through the Bible, that on a Wednesday and Sunday you'd end up on these exact passages right here. And what that reminds me of is the fact that God is in control. Amen. God is in absolute control. So, the first and last of the, of the Beatitudes ends with the same thing. That little phrase, theirs is the kingdom of, hev- of heaven. But it has to be said that this last Beatitude is certainly the least desired. He, this is what happens to people who have kingdom character. When the world sees a spiritually poor, mourning, meek, hungry for righteousness, merciful, pure, peacemaking person, what do they do? Well, they're going to persecute that person. They're going to hate that person. And so Jesus' last beatitude here doesn't really sound like much preaching we hear today. He, He begins by telling His hearers how to behave. And then He warns them and says, if you behave this way, this is what will happen to you. You'll be absolutely persecuted. Most sermons that we hear today tell us how to live 
and then promise us if we live that way, life will be so much better. Right? That's really kind of the outline for most sermons. The preacher comes up and says, Now do this, and all of these wonderful things are going to happen. But Jesus says, Do, the, do this, and awful things are going to happen to you. You're going to be persecuted. Now why in the world would Jesus do that? Two reasons. Number one, because it's true. Jesus is an honest preacher. 2 Timothy 3.12 You live godly in Christ Jesus, you'll suffer persecution. Secondly, he does it because it's necessary. You remember in Luke chapter 14, he, he wanted his people to know. He said, Luke, you better count the cost before you follow me. Before you start building that tower, make sure you got enough money to finish building it. Before you declare war, make sure that you can win the war. You got to love me more than your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, and everybody. Remember when he said that? So, so he tells, tells that his hearers this because, number one, it's true. And he wants to be honest with them. But number two, it's necessary that they prepare themselves for a very difficult life. Now let's think now here, why, why are kingdom people persecuted? Now we use that term very loosely, don't we, in, in America. And, and it may be that we use that term very loosely because there's so little actual persecution that takes place here. In fact, we usually kind of have to spiritualize our circumstances in order for them to somehow qualify as persecution. And, and that might be appropriate sometimes, but, but it's certainly not what Jesus hearers thought of when they heard him speak these words here. And the truth is, many times we call things persecution that isn't persecution at all. Trials. Trials aren't the same as persecution. Many things cause tr trials to come our way. A sinking economy can cause a trial to come your way, Canada. A, a, a bad decision. A wayward child. In fact, sometimes the Bible says that God sends trials our way in, in order to strengthen us. Remember Genesis 22.1 when God tested Abraham there. And so every time you're in the middle of a trial, you shouldn't think that you're being persecuted because you're a Christian. No, trials are just part of the Christian life. It's not the same thing as persecution. Secondly, foolish behavior that invites attention is not the same as persecution. Foolish behavior that invites attention is not the same as persecution. There are people who have a martyr complex. In other words, that they just desperately want to be persecuted. And so they're going to do everything they can to make sure that they're persecuted. And we see somebody and they call themselves a Christian and they run up to somebody and they confront a person in an unholy way. They come up to somebody just screaming at them and yelling at them and telling them how awful a sinner they are and getting in their face and pointing their finger at them and, and then they get punched in the nose. And they say, well, look at me, I'm persecuted. Then they get cussed out. Well, look at me, I'm persecuted. No, that's not persecution. That's called being a fool. And you shouldn't be surprised if you do those type of things. If somebody responds in a negative way to you. You know, I was a chaplain in the prison system for about six years and volunteered in there for longer than that, but everybody in prison is persecuted, you know? That's why they're there. They're persecuted. They're being persecuted for their faith. They're a Christian. No, no, no. You're, you're here because you're a thief. You're here because you killed somebody. 
That's why they're there, but they have this complex. It always amazed me that they had somehow convinced themselves that they were being persecuted for righteousness' sake in prison. No, if your behavior brings consequences, that's not the same as persecution unless your behavior is holy behavior. Thirdly, sinful actions that invite retribution aren't the same as persecution. Sinful actions that invite retribution are not the same as persecution. Some people decide that in the name of God, they're going to do something sinful. They say, you know, in the name of God, I'm going to blow up this abortion clinic with all these doctors in it. Or or in the name of God, I'm going to come over here and, and destroy this mosque. Shoot it up or whatever. And get rid of all these pagans. I'm going to be like Joshua going through the land of Canaan and destroying all the Canaanites. You know, you've got people out there like that. And then they get caught and they get put in prison or they get the death penalty given to them and they say, oh, well, I'm just being persecuted. No, you're, you're, you're not being persecuted at all. You're just an exceeding sinful person who doesn't understand the Word of God. And so the blessing of God rests upon who? Those who were genuinely persecuted for what? Look what it says, for righteousness' sake. So you have to be persecuted for righteousness' sake to qualify for what Jesus is saying here. This world's an unrighteous place. And, and as a result, it hates righteousness. Now Jesus showed us this in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. We always think about John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the verses after that are really interesting verses. Because the verses after that in in verse uh, 19 through 21, He talks about how light has come into the world, but men loved darkness. And they completely rejected the light. Because they love darkness. What is darkness symbolic of? Well, it's symbolic of their sin. They love their sin. We live in a world filled with people who love to sin. And Jesus talked about this again in John 15, 20 through 23, where he said, they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And I don't want to get too much into this because it's a lot about what we're preaching on Sunday morning. But the world hated Jesus because he is righteous. And as a result, they persecuted Him. You see, God is a threat to humanity because He's righteous and humanity isn't. And according to Psalm 2, you know what the response of unrighteous man toward holy God is? The response is to kill God. Remember Psalm 2? They declared war on God. Why do the nations rage and the heathen imagine a vain thing? All the rulers and counselors got together. Let us break his bands asunder. Spurgeon said of that, and I'll never forget he said that. He said, if humanity could, they'd climb the heavens and slit the very throat of God. That's true. And that's essentially what Psalm 2 is teaching. And so the world hates God because God's righteous and they're not. And kingdom people are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So, maybe the reason we see so little persecution in America 
is because we see so little righteousness in America. Right? Maybe the reason that Christians aren't really hated that much is because there's not a whole lot of righteousness in people's lives. We're going to suffer persecution when we determine to live our lives the way Jesus did. Righteously. In a holy way. And it's inevitable if we do that, that we will suffer persecution. When we please God, we anger the world. And when the world is angry, it's going to respond with persecution. So if the world is always pleased with our actions, and the world is always pleased with our philosophies, and the world is always pleased with our opinions, something is wrong. It's a sad day if the world applauds and celebrates the church. Because if the world applauds and celebrates the church... And the church is not being who God's called her to be. James 4.4 4 says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Now I understand that there's going to be someone who says, Well, what about Jesus? He was a friend of sinners. And that's true. Jesus was a friend of sinners. But what type of sinners was He a friend of? Certainly not all. Because they killed Him and crucified Him, right? He was a friend of sinners who wanted to repent. He was a friend of sinners who wanted to get their lives right with God. Men like Matthew, who was an awful, awful person. Men like Peter, who was an awful, awful person. Men like Nicodemus, who was an awful, awful person. But they were sick of being awful. And they wanted to be saved. That's the type of sinners he was a friend to. And if we live in obedience to God... We can expect to upset the world because Jesus did. The early church did that. The Bible says the early church turned the world upside down. And, and when, when our righteous and humble behavior angers the world, here's what you can be sure of. It pleases God. And during those days we shouldn't be ashamed, we shouldn't give in because it's actually a privilege that reveals our righteousness. Suffering for Christ is a privilege that reveals our righteousness. So kingdom people are persecuted. Now, let's move on down the text and see how are they persecuted. So Jesus describes the reaction of the world toward believers in three ways. The first thing He says is they're reviled, which is a word that means to cast insults at. If you're a Christian, you live your life for Christ, you can expect you're going to be insulted. And by the way, this was one of the ways Christ was persecuted. He was insulted. You remember they called on Him to prophesy and they said, Tell us who's hitting you. They had a blindfold on Him in Matthew 26, uh, Matthew 27, uh, verse 68. They had a blindfold on Him and they punched Him. And they said, Oh, you, you, you're, you're a prophet. Tell us who hit you. And remember while He was hanging on the cross, the Bible says that people would walk by and they'd look up at Him and they would just insult Him. And they would say things like, He saved others. Let Him save Himself. And they didn't believe He saved anybody. But they just said, oh, He's the Savior. Looks like He can't even save Himself. And with that in mind, 1 Peter 2, 23 says of Jesus, when He was reviled, He reviled not again. In other words, when He was insulted, He didn't insult back. So Jesus responded to insults with silence. With silence. Now, as a believer, you can expect, if you live your life for Christ, to be insulted. And it may be because of what you believe. Or it may be because of what you do. 
It may be because of what you refuse to do or what you refuse to believe. And, and these insults may come from strangers or these insults may come from people who are very close to you. They may come from family members or co-workers. But when you stand in righteousness, when you live your life for Christ, it will invite insult. And when you stand on the Word of God, you shouldn't expect the world to understand. Because as, as we refuse to agree with them, they're often just going to insult us. And that's the type of persecution, by the way, that, that we may be seeing to some degree here in America. You know, if you don't believe in evolution, you're a fool. Or if you don't believe in homosexuality, where you're just narrow-minded. Or if you don't believe that there's many ways to heaven, then you're hateful. So that may be to some degree what we see here in the United States. Now the second way that they suffer, he says, is they're persecuted. And this word describes the physical aspect of persecution. It's the actual suffering of the body. And it's rare to see this in our culture. But, but in many places, believers are still physically persecuted for their faith. They're beaten, they're imprisoned, and sometimes they're even killed for righteousness' sake. Now, I have to admit that I feel unworthy to even talk about this because there's no time that I've come even close to being physically tortured for my faith. So it's very difficult for me to, to teach on this or preach on this. But, but I would have to say, when I think about those people who suffered in their bodies for Christ, I have to think that that is when a person's faith is really tested to the max. And those people who endure that type of persecution prove that they love the Lord more than they love their own life. And so we certainly have to take our hats off, don't we? To those saints throughout the ages, ages past, ages present, and age in the future. We, we have to take our hats off. We have to salute. We have to honor those who have not wavered in their faith, even though their body was tortured. You remember Paul said, Paul said this, Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Think about that. He said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What did he mean? He said, my body's filled with scars. If Paul took his shirt off in front of you, you looked at his back and saw that five times he'd received 39 lashes from the synagogue, that his body had been stoned with rocks. I'm convinced Paul was a rough-looking fella. And he said that. And I believe he was tired when he wrote that. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Persecuted. And then he said they're falsely accused. In other words, people lie about them. And he says they lie about them for my sake, for Jesus' sake. What does that mean? Well, that means that as a result of living for the Lord, certain people are going to hate you so much that they tell lies about you. Now, Jesus endured that too, didn't he? They lied about Jesus. That's how, that's how they got him convicted in court, to be crucified. They said, oh, he said that he was going to rebuild the temple in three days. Remember that? And as a believer, you might find yourself lied about, haven't you? You might find yourself the object of gossip, the object of slander, maybe even lies. And sometimes people do that because they don't want other people to believe that you're a child of God. Sometimes they do it because they don't want people to follow you or listen to your teaching. And when people tell lies about us, and it doesn't matter why or when, it hurts. 
But, but when this is done, because we're living for the Lord, we can be sure that God is going to reward us for enduring that type of persecution. Now let's move on to what happens to kingdom people who are persecuted. What happens to them? Well, notice he says that the persecuted people are to rejoice. Jesus commands the persecuted. He says, be exceeding glad. You know what that phrase literally means? That phrase literally means to leap for joy. It describes a person jumping. They're so happy. Now, they're not jumping just because they're persecuted. That would be crazy. They're jumping because they got a reward in heaven. That's what Jesus gives us here as motivation. They're rejoicing because great is their reward in heaven. See, Paul, he was able to, to endure suffering and he was able to rejoice because he said this in Romans 8.18. He said, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. See, he could rejoice because he always looked to heaven. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're always looking to this earth, you're going to be a sad fella. This is a depressing place. On a good day. Amen? On a good day, there's enough here to get depressed about. And that's why your mind has to be on your reward in heaven. This age for us is going to end with either Christ returning, and I hope it does. I'd love not to die. Wouldn't you love that? I mean, I don't want to die. I know I'm going to, but I don't want I'm not signing up for it, you know. I'd much rather Jesus come back, wouldn't you? People say, oh, I don't know. People ain't ready. Listen, don't tell me that. They better get ready. If I'm voting, I'm voting. Come on today. Amen? Come on today. So this age is either going to end in, in death or the return of Christ. And at that point, heaven will be our home for all eternity. And suffering will be nothing but a memory. It's just gone. Every tear wiped away. So we can rejoice in our present persecution because of the joy that's set before us. Great is our reward in heaven. That's the motivator for rejoicing whenever you're in the midst of persecution. Now the next thing I want you to see here is that, that the persecuted are in great company. For so prosecute, persecuted they the prophets which are before you. Now if we want to be like Jesus in every way, we have to be persecuted because he was persecuted. He's our example. But not only him, when you go back in the Old Testament, you see God's people have always experienced persecution. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 36 through 8 describes the Old Testament saints. And, and it gives a list there. And it talks about the great persecution that these uh, men of God experienced at the hands of an evil world. And I love what the writer says of Hebrews there, as, as all that kind of comes to an end. He says this, I love this phrase. He, he said, 
He's talking about all these prophets who were persecuted and were killed in Hebrews chapter um, 11, verses uh, 36 through 38. So he's talking about all these people. And then he says this, of whom the world was not worthy. Isn't that good? The world hated them. The world didn't think they were worth nothing. And the world wasn't even worthy of them. It was only by the grace of God that they had an Isaiah. It was only by the grace of God that they had a Jeremiah. It was only by the grace of God that they had a Habakkuk or a Micah or an Amos or a Joel. They hated them. But the world wasn't worthy of them. And so as we endure persecution for the sake of righteousness, what do we do? We join a great company of past, present, and future believers. And so the persecuted, when you find yourself persecuted, all you do is this. You say, great is my reward in heaven, and great is my company. And then finally, the persecutor blessed. This this is the only beatitude that mentions two blessings for the same thing. And, and, And as hard as it may seem, we need to understand that it is an honor to suffer for our Lord. Remember Acts 5.41? They were just rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for His name. That's tough to say, isn't it? When the world curses us, we should remember that it's probably because the Lord is blessing us. That's probably why. Now, we should neither seek persecution. We shouldn't try to get the world to persecute us. They've already dealt with that. But neither should we seek to avoid it. Now, there's a sure way to avoid it. There is an absolute sure way to avoid persecution, Christian. If, 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 if we do what the world does, if we laugh at the world's jokes, if we hide the truth in a jar, the world won't hate us. The world will leave us alone. But if we live righteously, persecution in some degree and in some manner will come. But when it does, we should respond, respond in brokenness toward our persecutors, and in praise toward God. And as we do this, we'll be able to say with Jesus, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Amen. There's a lot I could say, but I really messed my sermon up for Sunday. Amen. But the only thing I know is God really must want us to hear this. Because on Sunday morning when we go over to Matthew chapter 10 and we're looking at at verses 16 through 25, we're going to see there that Christ sends us out as as sheep in the midst of wolves. Amen. God bless you. Glad you came tonight. I hope that you'll uh, be here Sunday morning. Uh, Pray for us tomorrow as we have our downtown Bible study. Uh, We had nine this past Thursday. Amen. We had five the first week. We had nine the next week. Um, You know, you just, we're not going to know from week to week. And we appreciate all who are working uh, with us to help get those meals together. Uh, But it's a great blessing to be able to take the gospel to our community. And the sack lunches are working really good. 
Um, you know, we're social distancing in there, and people are taking their meals and 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 they're leaving. So uh, it, it's it's working real good. So you just continue to pray for that ministry. I'm glad we're able to start some stuff back, and we're going to do it as long as we're able to to preach the gospel to down.